Welcome to the Vici Mundum Show, a ministry of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Church in Newport News, Virginia. Uh, well, we had the second act launch yesterday. We that, did. That was, that was nice. fun. That was fun. That's a great ministry. Yes. Yes. Uh, how did it go? Together. It was nice. Uh, John Chesney made a wonderful lunch for us of pork with like a mushroom sauce. It was incredible. Wow. And I found out, so I sat beside this lady, I found out that she lives on the road uh, on the block next to mine. So we walk by her house all the time. Like, oh, great. Some of my neighbors are parishioners. Yep. Who would have thought? Yeah, who would have known? You know, if you talk to people, you can find things out. It's amazing. Have you ever heard of uh, the Catholic speaker, Annie Hickman? No. No. Oh, he's he's at like the Steubenville type stuff. And he says, maybe what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor, he just meant love your neighbor, neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> like the person who physically like lives, lives next, next door. door yeah. And it all started because one of his kids was like, uh, hey, daddy, what's what's our neighbor's name? And he didn't even know his neighbor's name. Oh, man. Yeah, so that's a challenge. <laughs> it is. So it's always fun to meet meet new neighbors and, uh, and, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ here at the church. So um, so today we are here with, uh, if you didn't pick up already, um, this is Austin Farenholt, Director of Advancement. Um, also with us is Tina Wandersey. Hello. And we've got Anthony Ferguson. Howdy, y'all. So uh, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Vici Mundum Show. Um, today I want to talk about something, uh, that I recently have been reading about at the time of this recording, it's Lent. Um, so if this comes out after Lent, I apologize, but it's Lent and we, and I started Lent reading this great book by Father Michael Gately called Consoling the Heart of Jesus. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit today about, um, consoling Jesus and, uh, just to get us started with a fun question. Um, if Jesus is in heaven and people in heaven are happy, does Jesus really need to be consoled? What do y'all think? Well, um, I mean, the thing that comes to mind immediately is, uh, I mean, this, it always gets kind of funky when you start talking about heaven and eternity and in relation to things that are going on in time, but, um, because the world hasn't ended yet, That's correct. we're still here, and God, Jesus hasn't come back, his second appearance has not happened, um, then, the, you know, we're still in the, the birth pangs, like creation is still groaning, you know, we're not quite finished yet, and so, insofar as that's the case, uh, then we can still have time to fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, like what St. Paul says, that yeah. that we're looking forward to the day that, that he's going to bring all things to a close, and he's eagerly looking forward to that day as well. So, like, so long as things are not finished, maybe he, consoling Christ has, I don't know, I mean, we can talk about this, but maybe maybe it's tied up in that idea that that Christ himself is interceding for us. He's He is himself still involved in the creation um like the recreation of, of heavens and earth. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think that time is kind of a quirky thing. So we see time as uh, our day-to-day. We, uh, we actually keep time. And so for us, time is, uh, is passing, and it's, uh, we can uh, definitively say what today is and what tomorrow will be. It has, uh, it has time uh, attached to it. Um, but I think that uh, what's interesting to me is that, you know, it's really all just one long day, isn't it? And so what's happening um, in heaven is simultaneously happening with us. And, you know, the, the, the two worlds, I don't know how 
I don't know how distinct they are from yeah. each other. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, um, uh, I don't know how, how separate, you know, all of that really is. So, you know, when I hear about uh, consoling the heart of Jesus, uh, for me, it always comes back to presence um, and the people around you. And so uh, as much as um, Christ is a part of that and a part of their lives, uh, the other, the other person always has to be consoled, and therefore Jesus is is always needing to be consoled. Uh, he yeah. very much has a uh, a place in our lives, and um, as we hurt, he also hurts. I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that idea of um, uh, Father Gately calls it retroactive um, consolation. You know that it's kind of uh, we console him by what we do today. Um, and the way that he talks about it is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he's, he, he saw all of our sins. You know, we believe this to be true. He saw everything that we, all the sins of the world were put on him at that, um, at that moment on the cross. And he saw it in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, and he suffered incredible anguish. So it would make sense that if he were to see um, all, all the evil and experience all that suffering, then he would also see all the goodness um, and the compassion, which would bring him consolation. Um, and Dr. Timothy O'Donnell, um, who I actually am friends with him, he, he's the president of Christendom College, he wrote, this, um, he wrote this brief excerpt about it. It's really neat. He says, Just as Jesus allowed himself to be saddened by the vision of the sins of mankind, so did he also allow himself to be consoled by all the human acts of compassionate consolation throughout history until the end of time. He goes on to say that artists have depicted this by painting the image of the crucifix with different saints throughout the ages standing at the foot of the cross. So that, that has kind of been, you know, how, how could uh, you, St. Tina, maybe one day, God willing, stand at the foot of the cross, you know, be imaged there looking up at him when it happened over 2,000 years ago. Certainly. I think that's what makes me think of this as all one big day. You know, <laughs> sure. the Lord, you know, it's never too late to pray. Um, and so uh, if if you get word that um, somebody died or, or some tragedy befell somebody or somebody needed prayer, even stopping in that moment and praying in a profound way for them, uh, the Lord knew that was was going to happen uh you're just sort of uh stepping into that and it's it's always i don't want to call it retro (laughs) (laughs) but the the prayers always mean something no matter how far away from the event that you are uh any moment that we stop to pray or think is um impacts that event no matter how long ago it was um so for me, uh, that, that's why I get that image of it's just it's really all just one big day. It just depends yeah. on when uh, we decide to uh, wake up and participate in that great picture, that bigger picture. Have you have any, either of you ever seen Into Great Silence? No, no. It's a movie about the Carthusian monks. Um, Father John David always like references it or says it's oh, awesome. It's, it's unbelievable. It's like a three-hour movie with. I think like 15 words said total. I, I think I started to watch this. Yeah. It's, and it's really, it, it's different. It's not a movie that like you sit down and you're like, all right, grab the popcorn and watch. It's very different. Right. But you kind of step into the See. world of the Carthusian monks. Um, and, and they're like, even when you're watching it, you kind of just lose sense of time, you know, because there's really, 
their day is very it repeats kind of in a way you know they do the same things every day but at the end there's one part where they're interviewing this really old monk um he's blind and he's sitting there and he says something that you're talking about tina he says i've come to realize that god sees the world as just one big moment it's just all interesting yeah it's just one big moment he sees it all at once um which is really kind of crazy well for me it takes kind of the drudgery out of it (laughs) just one day yeah you can do one day yeah you can be present in one moment sure um and i think that's what this consoling the heart of jesus talks about it talks about very small yeah small things um not large things uh Sometimes we can think when we start on the spiritual way, we've got to do these great big things and give up these extraordinary things and suffer these great crosses. And uh, really, it's uh, just, you know, it's the little things. It's being present. It's um, paying attention, being awake, and um, living uh, as if this is the only moment. Right. Because it really is. Right. Yeah. uh, I have a question. So we've talked a lot about like, how can we technically console Jesus, like kind of from a theological time standpoint, but I don't know if we've really talked about what it means to console. Like, what does Mm -hmm. it look like? What does consolation mean? And then also like, how can we actually console Christ? Yeah. So it's definitely one of those things that, uh, that intellectually I think it's hard to grasp this side of heaven. Um, But there's, there's a couple ways, and Father Gately says you need to start with, he calls it first things first. So um, a common answer, how do you console Christ? Well, it's compassion to other people. It's being compassionate to the poor. You know, we're all the body of Christ. So, um, so you know, that's, that's kind of um, a more, I guess, popular, maybe what your mind goes to first. But he says you got to start with first things first, and you actually have to console Christ himself. If we're all a body... You know, the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head. So um, so you need to go to the head first, go to Christ first, and offer him consolation. And kind of what Tina was talking about is, okay, well, how do you even do that? You know, how can you provide consolation to Christ? Um, and it, it it's there's a lot to it, um, but I think one way that really struck me is that when he was on the cross, he looked out and just saw suffering and pain. You know, what did he desire in that moment? He desired souls to come to him. You know, who brought him, if you think about in his crucifixion, who brought him consolation? There were people along the way mm-hmm. that brought him consolation. Veronica, she wipes his face, you know, lifts a cloth. And what does he do? He imprints himself on that cloth, which we still have. Um, and so that obviously was meaningful to him for him to leave the image of himself on it. His you have mother, like Simon, yeah, like Simon's Simon. relieving him of the cross for a little time. Like, right? Is that is that what you're getting? Well, at? yeah, yeah, yeah. Simon, yeah. I mean, he kind of did it um, not as willingly, <laughs> so tradition holds. Um, but yeah, and then Mary just meeting him along the way, um, and then John and Mary at the foot of the cross, um, staring up at him mm-hmm. uh, and weeping with him. And Mary, uh, from early on, Simeon says that a sword, too, will pierce your heart. You know, your your son will be a sign of contradiction, and your heart, too, a sword will pierce. And it's that piercing, it's that, that, um, that kind of dying with Christ that actually brings him consolation. To be there 
uh, with him and just to be present to him in his sufferings. Yeah, I think that uh, something that stood out to me uh, that might um, be a little bit more tangible to something, uh, the question that you're asking is um, uh, they gave the image or a, uh, or a meditation of um, going into the Blessed Sacrament and spending time with Jesus. And um, often when we go to the Blessed Sacrament, um, it's to ask Jesus for something or to pour out our troubles or sorrows mm-hmm. and uh, uh, to ask him to help us to grow in whatever. And so uh, part of a way that we can console the heart of Jesus um, is to go to the Blessed Sacrament and just be with Jesus and recognize what gifts he has already given to us and what his sacrifice meant. So accepting uh, his death uh, on the cross um, as our way to salvation. So instead of coming and asking him for something, uh, being present at the at uh, to him and to mm-hmm. what he has done, um, just being aware of that consoles his heart um, because now he knows that um, that that's that's another that, that's another soul on their way to God. Um, yeah, something you said like so. Instead of asking God for things thinking in terms of maybe what we can bring to God, like bring to Christ and to comfort him, right? That's is, right. is that what we're talking about, right? Comforting That's Jesus. Right. Right. That's right. Comforting him That's on the right. cross. That's right. I, I thought of uh, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well mm. and how, like, Jesus asks her for a drink. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of mind-blowing, right? That Jesus, the like God incarnate, would ask a human being and a woman that and a Samaritan on top of all of this – and she's alone, so she's clearly a sinful Samaritan woman. So, like, all of this together, and he asks her for a drink, asks her for something. I mean, our gut reaction in that moment should be, what in, What on earth could she possibly have to offer Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Right. And then what's fascinating is the end of that story is that um, the disciples come back and are kind of shocked that he was talking to this woman. And this woman has experienced some level of conversion in that moment. And they ask uh, Christ, you know— aren't you hungry? You should eat something. And he says, uh, basically, I've already eaten. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. And so by a soul coming to him, it actually provided him nourishment in a way and comfort and satisfaction. So like you said, Tina, soul going to Christ is the best thing. Right. And you talked a little earlier yeah. about um, about how the book says, you know, kind of more of a little way, like a Theresean way. St. Mm-hmm. Therese of Lisieux is all about the little way. If you haven't read her diary very much recommended it's mm-hmm. great um but we have a tendency well i shouldn't say we some people um and i can say that i I'm, i can be guilty of this at times like to be uh or think that maybe we can be a big soul you know and we can we can do grand big things for god um and maybe we have a desire to do really big things or maybe we even have a fear to do something big you know that's also very common mm-hmm. and you can you can experience both of those right. things in one day <laughs> yeah um, but what he, he talks about is just uh, Christ carried the cross, you know, um, and what he wants us to do is just go and walk with him and trust him. Right. Um, that he's not going to give you – one of the images <laughs> that I read in here that was just amazing is that we can have a fear of, of going to Christ and just being with him and consoling him because he might ask us to change our entire life. You know, well, he might do that, but usually the way he works is he says – um, uh, he uses an imagery of a little kid like holding something in their hand. Right. You know, they don't want to let go of it. And Jesus will say, "Well, just give me your other hand, and we'll walk for a little bit." 
you know, and you walk with Christ. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, after Christ has really moved your heart, he might say, hey, maybe you can let go of that thing now. Mm -hmm. You know, but he's not going to ask you until you're ready for it. Um, And he doesn't want you to run ahead, and he doesn't want you to lag behind. He wants you to stay beside him. Wow. Such a cool topic. Um, It's very difficult, though. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's a tough topic, Um, you know. Because it's like, what what does God want from us? What does he, like, need to think of God as needing anything? It's, it's just right. it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. Yeah, and John Paul, too, talks a little bit about that because um, it's like you said, Jesus doesn't need us, you know, yeah. in, a, in one sense. Um, but John Paul II wrote, I'm convinced that the objective starting point of love is the realization that I'm needed by another. The person who objectively needs me most is also, for me, objectively, the person I most need. This is a fragment of life's deep logic. Wait, wait, can you say something? Can you just, like, repeat that? Because it just, it felt like a tongue twister to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he said, I'm convinced that the objective starting point of love is realizing, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, is realizing that I'm needed by another. Okay. So we start love realizing that we're needed by somebody else. And then he goes on to say, the person who objectively needs me most, so the person who needs me most, is also, for me, the person that I most need. This hmm. is a fragment of life's deep logic. Now, and that's, that's interesting. a lot going on. <laughs> so think about that in terms of, like, Christ as our Savior. Um, like, I don't remember which book this was in, but basically... Um, the, the thought was that what attracts God to us is actually our, our brokenness, our sinfulness, right? That like God sees us and he's the good father that rushes to us instead of pushing us away. He rushes to us cause he sees how much we need him. Yeah. Um, and so the, our need actually, I guess in, in what you're kind of getting at is that like God recognizes that, that like in order for us to be saved, like he, he he needs to go to us, right? And and so... He wants to be our savior. Yeah. He wants to save us, right? That's why when he's on the cross, so he says, desire. I thirst for you. I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. And with friendship, there's a level of uh, equality or, or mutualness, a giving and a taking. Right, right. And so in that sense, uh, the Lord uh, does need us. Uh, what does he need us for? Uh, I think of um, uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta. Um, he, you know, he needs our hands. He needs our feet, um, mm. to, to go forth, um, much like he, he sent the apostles to, um, be witnesses to who he is. Um, ultimately the goal is that people will recognize that this man on, on this cross is God. Um, he did die for our, uh, our sins and we are saved because of that. Yeah. And that message, he needs to go to the ends of the world. Uh, he is, he is, uh, he is still here with us, uh, but in a different way. And so uh, the the need he has is for us to come to him, console him. But I find interesting about him when you come and console the Lord. Um, what does he do? Um, if if someone were to console me, it would be a gift to me, right? Right. And I would benefit from that. Uh, but what the Lord does when we come and we console him is he gives that gift back because now we're saved. Uh, when we recognize who <laughs> he is, when we come to him and console him, he gifts us eternal life. Yeah, and that's the mass. 
he that's gives the mask. Yeah, like, that's incredible. We bring we bring God bread and wine, right? Yeah. Oh, like here, but he gave those gifts to us first, and we hand them over to him, and he gives them right back to us as Jesus' body and blood. Right. And what do we do? We receive that, but it's not just to stay inside of us. We're supposed to give it back to him, and it's just right. this back and forth, back and forth. And that's what eternity is. That's what the Trinity is. It's all just pouring out, receiving, pouring out, receiving. Yeah. Dang. The essence of love. That's what it is. Wow. And even the Father, doesn't he show that as well? The Lord dies on the cross, and this is his gift to the Father, and the Father receives that, accepts yeah. it, and um, and offers eternal life. You know, So it's the same uh, relationship, even if you look at... Um, uh, even if you look at uh, the Lord, um, and he sends his spirit to help us uh, to be able to follow. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. And that's um, uh, one of the things that Jesus, he appeared to um, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. I, I don't know if I said that last name. Yeah, right. you did, Alacoque. That sounds right. Alacoque, Alacoque. okay. Yeah. She's, she's wonderful. So it was a time during the, the Jansenists, um, where they were very much like, uh, God is not your friend. Stop right there. So like, yeah, what's a Jansenist? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good, good word. Question. Anthony, you kind of actually <laughs> have told me about the Jansenists. I mean, basically, they were like extreme rigorous. So I, there was a, there's a quote by someone that basically went to visit a, a, a convent during, during kind of the height of the Jansenism uh, heresy. And uh, basically, they they reported back about the convent that these these sisters are pure as angels, but proud as devils. Oh wow! And so, yeah, the, it's it's the fact that they 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 just see themselves. They saw God first of all. It comes from an incorrect view of who God is. I think ultimately, yeah. sure. they saw God as this like extreme, like extremely justice heavy God that like demanded <laughs> perfection, demanded, demanded sacrifice, not mercy. Yeah. Um, right. And um. And so they responded by this incredibly rigorous, like Pelagian kind of, I need to work my way to salvation. I need to punish myself and, you know, uh, basically satisfy God's justice in order to go to heaven. And all these lax people are just going to go straight to hell. I mean, that's basically what Jansenism was. And I think there's still, I mean, there's that still, you can kind of feel that sometimes that uh, in today's culture, that, that that hasn't necessarily gone completely been eradicated from our mentality and our approach to God. Yeah, and it's always a temptation, too, to think that I'm not worthy and God doesn't want me because I'm terrible or I have to be perfect in order to approach him. Um, So, but at any rate, one of the things that that Jesus said, um, I believe he said it to St. Margaret Mary, so he shows up to her in the middle of this this big heresy that's going on with the Jansenists, and he shows her his sacred heart. Um, and if you have never, if you're listening to this and you've never seen an image of the sacred heart, Google it. Um, it's worth it. It's, it's the heart of Jesus is, uh, there's flames coming out of the top. It's pierced and there's thorns around it and it's bleeding. Um, and he says, uh, he tells her the flames of mercy are burning me. I desire to pour them out upon human souls. Oh, what pain they cause me when they do not want to accept them. Mm. So when we offer our sins to Christ, the fire burning in his heart can be quenched by consuming the sins, by him being able to, to pour his mercy out on him. So we can console him by confessing our sins and giving him our brokenness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's evidence, I think, by the thief on the cross, you know, and, and his great pain says, Lord, remember me. And he, he has that moment of consolation, you know, another one that, amen, you'll be with me in paradise. 
like those burning flames of mercy can actually can actually not hurt himself you know <laughs> there's that the scene in the passion of the christ is very powerful with the thief on the cross because oh, like yeah. when when the thief asks him to remember him like in his kingdom you can almost see the relief on jesus's face on the even on the cross even in his extreme agony he's just like today you're going to be with me in paradise yeah. and he just he almost looks joyful yeah. he's like this is why i'm doing this this is why i'm on this cross exactly mm-hmm. what you just did dude mm-hmm. thank you Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's beautiful. And um, so really, if we look at, you know, what is what is the best way to console Christ? Um, Father Gately talks a little bit about this. He says that St. Faustina, um, she also she was a mystic and uh, experienced a lot of revelations from God, from Jesus and Mary. Um and he told her that what causes him the greatest pain is the sin of distrust. Yep. Not trusting. Yep. Guilty. <laughs> really? Absolutely. <laughs> day in and day out. Um, and I think uh, he, he, Father Gately kind of gives some imagery to this, that as Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin and being spit on and mocked, that when uh, right before the cock crows, that that's actually when he experiences the most pain because right then is when uh, Peter denies him, and so it wasn't even being mocked or publicly persecuted that hurt that hurt him as much as one of his close friends denying him mm-hmm. and not trusting him. Yeah. So how do we trust him? What do you guys think? How do we actually trust Jesus? Hmm. I think it has to be built on a um, a relationship with him that shows uh where he has um proven himself trustworthy you know if you have a relationship with christ you can see where um where he is who he says he is and uh even though it's hard to remember that i mean i think at our core we're all israelites right Right. we 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 can doesn't matter how big the miracle we need the next one you know (laughs) to just remind us it's never enough and so um it really is relational and so and i think again it comes back to recognizing and being able to tell um jesus i've seen you do this i've seen you do that uh, and even though my faith is wavering in this particular instance, I have to hold strong to the fact that mm. it will end well. Um, uh, and well, of course, is a relative term, but right. But it will end um, for His glory. For His glory, yeah. exactly. God is in charge. Yeah. And uh, and and if you believe in His divine providence and that He uh, truly wants you home, then you know. Father Gailey sums up basically everything you said very succinctly. He says the best way to trust is to offer praise and thanksgiving to God for all things. Um, so any, I mean, this is in, there's so many Psalms that also state this offer to God a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Um, so that's really kind of what it all comes down to. Do you want to console Christ and trust him? How do you trust praise and thanksgiving? Something bad happens, give him thanks. Which is crazy. I mean, you know, to think about that. My brother, I was talking to him, uh, he and his fiance, and uh, he unfortunately has had many a run-in with a cop and speeding, going a little fast on the highways. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Luke, just throwing you under the bus right now. But Wow. Um, <laughs> but he told me the last time that uh, 
he he was on the phone with his fiance. His fiance was actually telling me this, and she said, "Yeah, so he he gets pulled over again. He's like, I just got pulled over, but I guess I have to thank God for this, right? Because that's <laughs> what we're supposed to do, even bad things." Um, and then he was like, you know, and maybe he saved me from something else or saved me from a wreck or, you yep. know, this is, this is God having mercy on me. So thank you, God, even though it's very inconvenient, this is still from, mm-hmm. it still ultimately is kind of in a way coming from you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, and look at what Jesus does on the cross when they offer him like that, that, uh, that drink that would basically lessen his pain. He, he yeah. doesn't drink it. Yeah. So like that, that's kind of, you know, he's looking for that. He's looking for consolation, but not the kind that we often want. Interesting. <laughs> like, we don't want, yeah. He doesn't Very want just a, a lot there. He doesn't yeah, there just want to. You've opened up a whole new conversation. Yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> but the point is, he doesn't want to just deaden the pain. He wants us to, to kind of enter into it with him. And that's where he's consoled. And that's where ultimately we get consoled, too. So He doesn't want to cover it with the bitter gall, you know, yeah. that, that we try to offer when we think we know what he wants. He just wants us. I think ultimately sweet. So as we kind of wrap up, there is one, one way to kind of live this life of praise and Thanksgiving. I mean, ultimately it's just constantly offering him both of those things. One thing father Gailey kind of ends the book with is, uh, is talking about, um, reflecting on his passion. Um, and you can do this at the three o'clock hour by praying the divine mercy chaplet. So whenever it's three o'clock, just giving an acknowledgement to Christ and remembering his passion and saying, thank you for that um, and have mercy on me. So, you know, those flames aren't burning yourself. They're consuming my sins. So um, it's something that, that I've kind of picked up this Lent and it's beautiful. Just taking that three o'clock hour and reflecting on his passion. Um, I very much recommend it. It's, it's a great, great thing to do. Jesus works wonders. So, um, well, folks, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do pass it along, share it with friends, family. Um, also, if you have uh, any questions, topic ideas for us, please feel free to send us an email. Um, our email address is vichimundum1633 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and until next time, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, pray, pray for us. us. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Church in Newport News, Virginia, or the Catholic Diocese of Richmond. This podcast is presented to you by individuals who are not all necessarily experts in the field of discussion, but are answering the call to new evangelization and sharing their love of Christ with you. God bless you.